family matters. Family matters. We've been walking through the book of 1 Corinthians, and we've really been seeing how Paul, the spiritual father of this church family, needed to address some issues, needed to talk about some stuff that where some family matters. And we've been learning a lot through this throughout the last few weeks, but this week we're going to specifically be in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We're not going to be able to focus on the entirety of this chapter, because let me just help you understand If you haven't read it yet, I encourage you, read it in preparation for Tuesday, where we're going to be doing our Digging Deeper uh, social media segment uh, at 8 a.m. The reason why we're not going to preach on the entirety of this chapter is because it's very situational. In other words, the things that Paul addresses in this chapter are necessary and are important, but I could probably preach 30 sermons off of this one chapter itself. So I can't cover every aspect of every verse. In this chapter, Paul is specifically addressing questions that the Corinthians had about marriage, about divorce, about celibacy, about not not really sexual morality he hit last week, but then he talks about circumcision, uncircumcision as religious rights. He talks about the slave and the freed individual. There's a lot here. We're going to focus our time on the foundational principle that lifts up all of what Paul is commanding and instructing the Corinthians on, and that's specifically verses 17 through 24. But before we get there, my question that I want us to ponder this morning is this. How do your circumstances affect your relationship with the Lord? Don't answer it now. Think about it. Because I want that question to guide your thought process as we unpack the Word. And I want your heart to be open to the leading of the Holy Spirit in this moment. But you've got to prepare yourself. You've got to ready yourself for what the Word of the Lord wants to give you. Let me, let me give that question a little bit more specificity, and I'm going to ask it this way. It's not on the screen. Is your relationship with God conditional, circumstantial, or absolute? So in regards to that question, how do your circumstances affect your relationship with the Lord? You've got to stop and think, what is my circumstance as it pertains to my relationship with the Lord? Is my relationship conditional, circumstantial, or absolute? Let me share some more history about my life with you. Um, you know, you all know my parents are ministers, and we grew up in a minister's household. And uh, I'll just let you know, I am one of four brothers that my parents uh, brought into this world. But there's only three of us left living on this earth. Uh, I'm the third youngest, the fourth of which, uh, when he was born had some serious medical complications. They had to have an immediate C-section, give my mother a C-section. He was born with the umbilical cord around his neck, came out purple, uh, had no oxygen, and uh, I don't don't know at all. I was so young at the time, uh, two years old, I think, or thereabouts. And uh, they were, eventually, my younger brother was released to go home from the hospital. My mother, one day, one midweek day, she was teaching at the private Christian academy that she taught at and she had my brother there and he was in his seat and midway through her session her lecture whatever it was one of the kids cried out miss becky miss becky jj's blue and she looks down and you know 
her, her newborn baby is suffocating and she has to immediately perform CPR as someone calls 911. Now, I, I don't know all this. I, I was a kid. I don't even have memory of this. But the reason I share this part of my story with you and my parents' story and my family's story with you is because at this point in my life, as we mature, we're able to appreciate things more. I'm able to now look at this history of my parents' past and me and my brother's family's past, and I'm able to recognize the reality of what my parents went through, at least from a distance, and I can say, oh my goodness. Statistics in society prove that even within Christianity, by all, for all intents and purposes, my parents shouldn't even be together right now because of the, the turmoil and, and, and the, the trial of going through what they went through. They, shouldn't, they should be divorced right now because of the pain of you name it. But we grew up for the five years that my brother had on this earth living in intensive care at Children's Specialized Hospital, fully ventilated, unable to speak, quadriplegic, it was normal for us. We were excited to go to the hospital. My parents continued to minister to families at the hospital, families in the room of children that were there. It was normal to us. Why? Why? Why are my parents still to this day serving the Lord as ministers? They shouldn't even be ministers. to do with the reality of their relationship with the Lord and understanding the significance of it and power of it and the life-giving principles that are inherent in a relationship with the Lord. When it comes to our relationship with God, is it a matter of absolutes? Saying, God, it doesn't matter what I'm going to walk through. I'm going to serve you. It hurts right now, but I'm going to serve you. It's confusing right now, but I'm going to serve you. I'm going to trust you because you know what I need, and you know when I need it, and you know how I need it. But God, I trust you nonetheless. Or is it conditional? Is it, God, I'm going to serve you so long as, fill in the blank, I'm going to serve you if and when you provide fill in the blank. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, starting verse 17, says this. Nevertheless, as the Lord has assigned to each one, as God has called each person, so must he live. I give this sort of direction in all the churches. Was anyone called after he had been circumcised? He should not try to undo circumcision. Was anyone called who was uncircumcised? He should not get circumcised. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. Instead, here it is, keeping God's commands is what counts. Let each one remain in the situation in life in which he was called. Were you called as a slave? Don't worry about it. But if indeed you are able to be free, make the most of the opportunity. For the one who was called in the Lord as a slave is the Lord's freedman. In the same way, the one who was called as a free person is Christ's slave. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. In whatever situation someone was called, 
brothers and sisters, let him remain in it with God. So there's so much going on right here that we got to talk about. First, I don't know if you saw, but there was a reoccurring word that we saw again and again and again. That was the word called. That's important. We saw in verse 17, as God has called the person to live, so must he live. Verse 18, was anyone called after he had been circumcised? Jump down to verse 20. Uh, let each one remain in the situation in life in which he was called. Jump to verse 22, for the one who was called in the Lord. Jump to verse 24, in whatever situation someone was called. There's a significant aspect to the reality of this word that we see. In regards to the context, the word called here is in reference to the state we were in when God brought us justification. That state of saying, God, I repent before you. Here's who I am. Here's the help that I need. God, help me. And so what Paul's doing right here is significant that we can't miss. Paul is saying, he's trying to, through his writing, bring back to remembrance the origins of the Corinthians' birth in Christ. The new birth. Day one, their birthday in Jesus. He's saying, remember who you were. Don't think about who you are now. Think about who you were when Jesus called you. That's the first step. The next thing that he says here that we see reoccur a number of times is remain as you are. Well, let's be real for a second. Paul just talked about <laughs> circumcision and uncircumcision, which doesn't apply to everybody. We're not going to go down that route. He also talked about slavery and freedom, a serious issue that is still prevalent in the world today in a number of ways. So what's he getting at here? Well, let's talk about it. First, let's focus on the aspect of circumcision and uncircumcision. I ain't giving you pictures. I ain't talking about this. Parents, you know this. I'm sorry if your kids ask you about this afterwards. We got to talk about it. It's God's word. So the first reality that we're going to discuss about this is the idea that Paul is addressing two specific groups of people when he mentions these two different physical appearances that a man can have. Circumcision was something that was very well known and practiced amongst what ethnic group of people? The Jews. Individuals who would be circumcised was the covenant sign that the Lord had instituted amongst them and it was required amongst them. So Let's put that in context to the Corinthian church. Paul is writing to a group of people who unfortunately, some of them who have Jewish ethnic roots now have given their lives to Jesus, but are going around either touting themselves, puffing themselves up, and in the same vein, showing others and telling others, you ought to look like me if you want to have any serious relationship with the Lord. And so they were going around telling other individuals, you need to have this done to your body before you can truly be in a sanctified, holy relationship with the Lord. We got a problem. But then in the same vein, he addresses the exact opposite. And the pagans or the Greeks or anybody who was a non-Jew who didn't practice the, the reality or the right of circumcision, they were going around and... They were, in a sense, trying to say that, well, you know what? It might be more religiously acceptable based on what they're saying. And so I ought to be circumcised. Now let's flip it around again. Track with me. You also had individuals who were circumcised who were seeking to become uncircumcised. I don't even want to think about that. 
I literally don't even want to think about that, but that is what the Word of God is saying here. And we know that if we do historical studies, there were medical practices where this took place in the ancient Near Eastern world without modern medicine, mind you. All right, enough info on that. But why would they seek to be uncircumcised? Because of the social implications that was apparent when you had been circumcised. In other words, everybody saw you, and they knew you're one of those people. You're one of those individuals. You're one of those discriminatory individuals. You're one of those monotheists living in a polytheistic philosophical system. And so you don't agree with everything that we accept and provide freedoms for. And so there was this reality of, you know what, I don't want to be associated with this group of my ethnic background, and so I'm going to seek to become something that I'm not. See what Paul is getting at here? All right. For Paul to say that circumcision and uncircumcision are nothing, which is what he did say, reveals that God's adopting us into his family, watch this, voids all former classifications that assign worth to people, here it is, based on their ethnicity. Oh my goodness, I just stepped in it. I did. Paul isn't saying, he, 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 there's so much that he's saying right here. He's not saying that you ought to cast aside the origin of who you are. He's saying the exact opposite. He's saying be who you are and stop trying to conform to an image that someone else is trying to thrust upon you. You were created in the image of God. You are who you are. Okay, but don't think, let, 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 me, let me help you understand this. You don't need to fix yourself before God will measure your value as worthy to be purchased. You didn't hear what I said. Let me explain to you what I just said. You don't need to fix yourself prior to God who will measure your value, who has measured your value as worthy to be purchased. And do you know what God did to show you that he loves you? He paid the ultimate price with a with, with a currency that neither in this world or the next can be priced. You can't put a label on the cost of Jesus. But he paid the price for us in our sin. So that's the reality of the gospel. But then here's where we can't miss this. You ready? But don't think that God isn't going to clean you up after he bought you. All right? So we don't want to read this text and see that Paul's saying, you don't got to be something you're not. He is saying, he's saying, don't, don't try to conform to a pattern of what these religious fanatics say you ought to be. And don't try to think that you need to be more socially acceptable based on what these people are saying. He's, he, he's being clear on that. But what we need to understand that Paul is not saying is that you can just remain as you were when God found you in your sinful state. Because God bought you to cleanse you. And I'm not going to sit here and give an exhaustive list of what that is. But when there is sin in our life... And by the way, we ain't talking about ethnicity here. We're talking about life choices here that is sin. That's what we're talking about. I love the way my former pastor said this all the time. I just heard it once, and I was like, I'm never going to forget that. It was so profound. It says, God receives you as you are, but doesn't leave you as you are. You can't miss that. You can't forget that. That's so simple, but that's so profound. That's really a holistic understanding of the gospel. He doesn't expect you to change the person that you are in that state of submission. He says, I got you. I paid the price for you while you were the sinner. But then he doesn't say, all right, 
go on and keep sinning. He says, go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. So there's a reality of the situation that Paul is addressing that is really important for us even in today's day and age need to understand. Let's move on to the second reality that Paul addresses. That's slave versus free. Now we need to understand this. There are so many different routes that we can take. And I don't want to, you know, oversimplify this because I can't. But let's take the idea of slavery for a second. We have a mindset that we can understand because of the atrocities that were done to individuals of the black community in our country. That, that, is, that is a form of slavery that we have. But we have to understand that even today, there are different forms of slavery going on. There are realities of, of human sex trafficking institutions that are going on that are forms of slavery. And again, I'm not oversimplifying it. I mean this sincerely. We are slaves to institutions and mindsets today that need to be broken. Slaves to uh, lies about our identity and our images. So there, there's just so much that we can address. So I want you to think about all that as we discuss this. But I'm going to focus on one. And I want you to understand, because I believe that this is so necessary and so applicable, and it's so subtle, but it's something that the enemy doesn't want us to focus on. And I believe it's the reality that we can become enslaved specifically to trying to provide a means for our family. Think about that. Think about that. Whatever it is, you might be saying, I don't want to be involved in this reality of life. And it, it, a job. I don't want to be in this situation. It hurts. It frustrates me. I don't like the people. I don't like the way they talk to me. I don't, you, you could have a lot of uh, bad, bad, unnecessary preferences about individuals. I don't like the way they smell. I, I, don't, I don't like the way they talk. I don't know. You fill in the blank. But the reality is we might be in a situation that we feel trapped in. And we feel like, I want to leave this, but I need to be in this. Otherwise, I can't provide for my family. I can't pay the bills. I can't get food. I can't get clothes. And we're stuck in it. And see, it seems so trivial, but it's so necessary because I believe that this wreck is, think about how much time you have to spend at work. You spend the majority of your day at work, and it drains you. So much so that when you get home, you don't want to do anything but give into temptation of whatever that might look like. You just want to go out and party your weekend away. You don't want to be in the Word. You don't want to be with the Lord. You don't want to be in fellowship with other believers. Because like, I already gave so much of my time. I don't want to give more of my time to things that I don't really want to be doing. And that's exactly where Satan's got you. Say, like, I got him. I got him. They're now slaves to it. They're slaves to it. It's a mindset. Paul addresses the free individual here too. <coughs> he says if you're free, there, there, there's, there's a dichotomy that shows the opposite roles that these two groups of people should be taking. Let's read that again. Let each one remain in the situation in life in which he was called. Were you called as a slave? Don't worry about it. But if indeed you are able to be free, make the most of the opportunity. For the one who was called in the Lord as a slave is the Lord's freed man. And the same way the one who was called as a free person is Christ's slave. So you have the slave become free, and you have the free become the slave to Christ in this situation. So what Paul is getting at is you need to understand within the kingdom of God, we are all brought into equal standing before the Lord. So, so let's, let's put that into context. He's saying, 
you have such a divine appointment as someone who is in slavery, whatever that is. And let me be really careful here because, again, we talked about there are so many forms of slavery. We are not saying, and Paul even said it here himself, if you can seek to find a way out, get out of it. But don't miss the reality of your situation for the slave person. Let me say it this way. The individual in servitude has the opportunity to exemplify what worship under limitation looks like. Stop and think about that. The individual who is enslaved to whatever it might be has the opportunity to exemplify, show individuals who are walking the very walk that they are going through and say, you know what, I know your pain. I know what you're going through right now, but let me show you how you can still live life as free in Jesus. You're not a slave to men. Yeah, you might have to walk through this, but God is walking you through it. Know who you are in Jesus. And he comes over to the free person. Let me say it this way. The liberated individual has the opportunity to exemplify what sacrifice in this Lord's service looks like. Sacrifice. So you might have this individual who's right here who's saying, I don't got what they got. Life's pretty good for me right now. I've been afforded a lot of privileges and opportunities. And so I, I'm, I'm just going to enjoy this. And Paul is saying right here, you have to understand, first and foremost, your position in the family of God. Everybody is brought into equal standing. If you're free, no, 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 you were bought with a price. You belong to Jesus, so you are a slave to Christ, and he commands you to live for him. So look at your position. Look at your situation, your circumstance as a free individual and say, yeah, I got a lot to give, so let me start giving. I got time, I got money, I got privilege, I got whatever it is that I can give, and so I need to start giving it. Okay. So you have these two groups of individuals that Paul's talking to right here. And what I really believe he's trying to say here, if I could summarize it up, is this. It's time to start serving God right where we're at. It's time to start serving because what was happening here was the Corinthians were writing to Paul and he's answering in this chapter, yeah, but if I'm married, because here, here's what was really happening. You had individuals in the church of Corinth who were saying, you know, you are less holy if you get married because sex is a part of the body and you and the, and the body's flesh. Remember, we talked about that idea of Gnosticism last week. So you shouldn't have anything to do with it. So it's better to remain unmarried and, and they're calling out everything. And Paul addresses it and he's like, you know what? You know, there's some truth to that, but it has nothing to do with holiness. And he says specifically, and again, I don't want to get too much into this because we're going to on Tuesday, but he says in regards to marriage, if you have been given the gift, literally the charismata, the same Greek word that's used to describe miracles, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, prophetic words, driving out of demons, administration, service, giving, the same word. He says if you have the gift of celibacy, then don't get married. Why? Because you will be able to be more fully devoted to the Lord in this season. No matter what, I think my wife strengthens me, but at the end of the day, my interests always need to be kept in check. Always, when it comes to the Lord and my wife. Who's on the throne of my life right now? Is it my wife or is it my Lord? You got to think about that. And, and, and it, gets, it gets difficult. We're not going to go down that route, but... The significance of this is to understand the reality of what Paul is saying here. Remain as you are. Stop trying to leave it because God wants to, you ready for this? He wants to leverage it. 
we need to stop trying to ask God to deliver us from the situations of life that we're in when he's saying, listen, I got you here for a reason. Because number one, you need to learn something from it so I can increase your faith. But then number two, I want to use you as someone who is a witness, someone who has a testimony of what God has done to deliver you from it. Otherwise, why are people going to listen to us? Like, you don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I've walked through. But if you allow the Lord to work in you through this season of difficulty, you can say, actually, I do know what you're going through. Let me tell you what I've gone through. See what Paul's doing here? I got my preaching towel. (laughs) You and I were not called to a different position. You and I are called to be faithful in the position we were in when God found us. Think about Joseph. Think about Joseph in the Old Testament. Many of us know the story of Joseph. He was one of many brothers of the house of Jacob, his father. And early on, it was revealed to him that the Lord had endowed him with a gift to be a dreamer and an interpreter of dreams. And when he was a very young man, he had a dream that was in relation to his future that he was going to be at a high position of authority and all of his brothers were going to bow down to him. And he shares it. And what do you think his brothers did? (laughs) We'll get to what they did to him, but they didn't like the story of his dream that he shared. And so he goes to his father and he shares the story with his father. And his father, who did play favorites with Joseph because loved Joseph, even his father didn't like what Joseph had to say. And so his father told him to get his prideful head out of the clouds. Yeah, he could have done it a different way, but he was just doing what the Lord had called him to do. And he shared the dream that God had given him. Well, his brothers got so fed up with with Joseph and being daddy's favorite that we know they tricked him, they captured him, they locked him up until they had the opportunity to enslave him and sell him as a slave. His own brothers. That's why I always say you better watch out that your faith is not in people but in God because your own family your own family will break you. Just speak in truth, okay? So just prepare yourself. I'm not saying don't love your family and be there for your family, but recognize your family's not God. They are not perfect. So they sell them to slavery. And I can't even imagine what Joseph's thinking at this point in his life. But he finds his way to a very prominent individual who's a part of the authoritative court of Pharaoh, the ruler of Egypt. It was Potiphar. And Joseph finds himself as a servant in Potiphar's house. And Joseph, because of his faithfulness to the one true God, Yahweh, brings increase and favor upon Potiphar's house. So much so that Potiphar recognizes it and continues to treat him well and give him more and more opportunity and position and authority. But Satan didn't like that. And Satan said, I'm going to try to do something that is going to compromise the integrity of Joseph. Because I don't want him to keep living for the Lord the way that he is and, and leading others to the Lord. And so he sends Potiphar's wife in the night in secret to try and tempt Joseph to get in bed with her. And Joseph, when no other when he could have gotten away with it, he said, I cannot bring disgrace on my master's household. He's given me what I have, and I'm not about to do this. So he does the right thing. And we're expecting a glorious ending to the story. Not yet. Because she cries rape. He's like, I didn't, I didn't do it, man. I didn't do it. But it didn't work out in his favor, and so he gets sent to jail. 
sounds like stuff that we face today. And he's in prison. And, and I just got to be real. It's right here at this point in Joseph's story that I'm like in his shoes ready to check out. I'm like, come on, man. Just do you already. Enough's enough. You've been faithful. You've been good. Just mind your own business. Whatever. Just, just throw your hands up and be like, I'm done. What does he do? He recognizes his gift. And he leverages it in the situation that he's in. And he specifically speaks into the lives of two individuals, one of which is the cupbearer of Pharaoh himself. And Joseph allows God to work through his charismatic ability that he has endowed upon him. And he uses him to interpret the dream of the cupbearer. And even though it didn't happen right away, it was that man who remembered Joseph working in his life, who reciprocated the testimony of Joseph working in his life and saying, do you want to know about a guy that I met in prison? And you want to let me show you how he can help you? Do you understand how God works? He wants to take you at the pit of despair and use you in that pit so that one day you can be the deliverer of a nation. What was Joseph? He was elevated to the second most authoritative position in all of Egypt in a foreign country who served other gods and God still used him there. And he used him to save a nation. He saved his family. He saved the Egyptians and many more that came knowing that Egypt was ready for this problem. Egypt was ready for this adversity that we're facing as a nation. Ooh, sounds a little bit close to home. Sounds like may not be a famine, but it's a global pandemic that we're going through. And there's a lot of turmoil and confusion and difficulty and anger and frustration. God wants to leverage you right where you're at, church. And it's time to start serving him right where we're at. It is not about saying, God, I will serve you when you do this. God, I'm ready to step in and out of the boat only if and when you decide to provide this miracle in my life. God, not until you deliver me from this workplace environment that I can truly start to worship. God's like, hold up. I've put you there for a season so that you can use the giftings that I have given you to glorify me and to lead others to me. We can't go hide in our corner. We can't, church. You and I are the instruments of God to be used for his glory. And if we just want to hide ourselves away week after week, gather together for an hour and a half, and say, God, I worship you, thank you, praise you, Jesus. You're good. See you next week. We got a problem. We got a problem. I'm not saying you're doing that. I'm just being real, okay? Family matters. So let me bring you back to that question. How do your circumstances affect your relationship with the Lord? Be thinking about it. I'm sure you've been thinking about it. What circumstance of life are you in right now? What's your job? I'll tell you I love I don't know if anybody from work at Chick-fil-A will watch this. Love you all. I love Chick-fil-A. I'm telling you, I believe that when I walk the streets of gold, there's going to be a Chick-fil-A on every corner, giving out everything that I want for free. That's how much I love Chick-fil-A. But I don't love working there. I'm going to be a patron and not an employee when, when that happens. But I've got to stop and say, God, you're using me in this season. 
and I need to leverage this opportunity. It's hard. It's difficult. If they don't want to be here today, I'd rather be preparing my sermon for Sunday. I'd rather be counseling someone. I'd rather be preparing the church, whatever it is. But God, you have me here for a reason in this season. So I pray that I won't desire to just leave it, but I would leverage it for your glory. So here's the bottom line to answer the question, how do your circumstances affect your relationship with the Lord? You ready? Don't allow your circumstance to supersede your calling. Bring it back to the call. God says, I want you to remember who you were when you were called. It's that person that I called, and I'm calling other individuals out of the pit of despair, and I want to use you to speak to them. I want to use your past to speak to them. Stop trying to run from it. Stop trying to be something you are not. I have delivered you. You are no longer a slave to that. You are not defined by that, by that sin, by that hurt, by that pain. That's not what God is saying. What God is saying, you are free from that, but I want you to use that past to show others how they can be free from it too. That's the way God works. Jesus. Jesus. God, meet us in this place. God, meet us in our homes right now, wherever everybody is watching this, wherever we're at. Your spirit is there, God. Your presence, may it dwell richly among us, God. Lord, I pray that the realities and the principles of your word that we have learned from today would affect us in such a profound way that when we would live our lives Monday through Saturday, we would allow ourselves to be used in our God-given gifts to bring glory to the name of Jesus Christ, to show the world that you are the way, that you are the truth, and that you are the life. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. A God who will never leave us, a God who will never forsake us, a God that we are to abide in. A God who knows our pains, who knows our struggles, who walked through them. God, may we never forget that. Jesus. Could I ask you to stand with me this morning? Our God is good. Our God is great. Jesus. Man. I want to open the altars and lay hands on people, but we can't do that with COVID-19. I want to encourage you. If you have prayer requests, I need you to call them. I need you, I need you to text them in. I need you to do whatever you can do. I need you to see me afterwards so I can write them down so that we can be in prayer for them. But I am looking forward to the day when we get to pray together. We do it on Sunday mornings, just so you know. And I want to encourage you to come out if, if you're not still sleeping. But we need to be praying that God would deliver us, would use us, would empower us, and would open our minds to have discernment to see that he's working and moving in our lives. But otherwise, let me pray for you. Let me send you off in Jesus' name. Pray that you would be used by God this week. Join us on Tuesday morning if you're awake and you're not at work yet, or join in afterwards, 8 a.m. on the Glad Tidings Facebook page. And we're going to go a little bit deeper into some of the realities of 1 Corinthians chapter 7. But let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you, Jesus, for what it is that you have started to do at this church, in this body, in this place. God, I pray that you would continue to move. And I pray that we would continue to be sensitive to your spirit moving in our midst. God, I pray that we would not walk in accordance with our own will. We would not walk in step with the flesh, but in step with the spirit. Would we be 
humble enough to recognize our situation? And would we be grateful enough to recognize the situation of equality that you have granted us because of your son's death upon that cross? We are not slaves to the institutions of this world. We are not slaves to sin. We are not slaves to men. We belong to you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your forbearance. Thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for clarity that is given from you, God. Thank you for transformation that is found in Jesus. Thank you for freedom from bondage that is found in Jesus. Thank you for minds that are set free in Jesus' name. Set minds free, I pray today. God, every individual in this place, set minds free in Jesus' name. That we would no longer walk according to the pattern of this world that Satan has lied to us about for so long. I am a new creation in Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Jesus. God, we thank you. We thank you for showing up in this place today. We thank you for ministering to us today. God, be with us. Protect us. Cover us, I pray. In Jesus' name, all of God's people said, Amen, Amen, Amen. Whew.